0: All right. Thank you, Rick. All right, good morning. Hey, why don't you smile at your neighbor and say, you know, you look so much better this week than you did last week. (laughs) Just just we need to encourage one another. You're supposed to come to church and be encouraged, right? (laughs) Not sure what that really means. Not sure if we can take that as encouragement. Boy, we had a great leadership event yesterday, leadership intensive, and uh, about 45 of us got together in the Student Life Center, just had a great time. Rick was able to share his heart, and I'm just so pleased to have Rick on board, and I'm just so grateful uh, for what God has done in the life of this church. Uh, I was thinking, as I was driving in yesterday morning, preparing for this leadership event, what amazing things God has done in the span of one year in this church. And those of you that have been around a while, you know last year was a tough year, a tough year of transition, and uh, we started the official search for a new lead pastor, uh, actually uh, January of this year, and uh, we have Rick here, Rick and Deb, and they're settling in, they're purchasing a home, and the, the eagle has landed, and uh, we are all... Uh, just have such a sense of anticipation of what God is going to do in the days ahead as we move together as a team and as a church. I, I'm really excited. And in light of that, I want to personally invite you next Sunday night. We're having a very special event. It's going to be a night of celebration. It's going to be a night of worship. We're going to meet here in the auditorium and it's going to be a time of celebrating what God has done in our in our midst. And we are going to officially welcome uh, uh, Rick and Deb and it'll be a formal reception. We'll have a dessert reception afterwards and we'll just hang out and enjoy one another and be able to love on Rick and Deb. And we want you to be a part of that 6 p.m. next Sunday night right here in the auditorium, and then we'll move down to the Student Life Center, and uh, rumor has it the volleyball court will be open, and uh, a a campfire, and we're just going to have a good time together as a family, so I hope that you will be able to join us for that. Well, we continue our series, Life Locked, and uh, man, have I enjoyed this series. I was sharing with the team in the back, you know, I've read the book of Romans Dozens, if not a hundred or more times, I, I gave my life to Christ at an early age of eight, and and I feel like I'm reading the book again for the first time. It has just come alive to me, and I'm so excited about where we get to go today, because it is it's 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 been a lot of theological, and now we land on. Some some stuff that's intensely relational. But before we we dive into that series, let me tell you a little bit about Archibald and Mary because they have an amazing story. Archibald, in the early 1960s, in the country of Italy, was abandoned by his birth parents. Uh, We do not know who his birth parents are. He was left at an orphanage And they didn't even know his last name. All all he knows is that his name was Archibald. And uh, he was left there penniless, uh, homeless, and parentless. And Mary, not in the same orphanage, but in a very similar situation, was also left in an orphanage in Italy in the early 1960s. Penniless, homeless, and parentless. I, I personally I can't relate to that. I I don't know what that would be like. And their stories are amazing, not just because of the deplorable beginning of their life and the circumstances that they found themselves in without hope and without home. Frank and Onetta came into their lives and everything changed. Frank and Onetta met fell in love, and they married. And they had a wonderful marriage. They were completely fulfilled in their marriage. But they were facing a challenge. They could not have biological children. And they tried for a number of years and realized that that was not going to happen for them. They had hearts full of love, but they had a home that was empty. And they wanted to do something about that. So it was in their hearts to look for some children to adopt. And when they laid eyes first on Archibald, this little, beautiful, blonde-haired, blue-eyed little boy, they fell in love and they knew that was their son. They adopted him. They brought him home and they changed his name to Jonathan. About a year later, they met Mary. Mary. And they fell in love with Mary. And they formally adopted Mary and brought her into their home. And they renamed her Jacine. So Archibald is adopted and becomes Jonathan. And Mary is adopted and she becomes Jacine. And the amazing aspect of this story is that they weren't just adopted into any home. They were adopted into royalty. You see, Archibald became Prince Jonathan, and Mary became Prince Jacine, or Princess, excuse me, Princess Jacine. And their home became the Palazzo, which is the inspiration for the Palazzo that's, I understand, in Sin City, Las Vegas, Nevada. It's an amazing edifice. I I, I can't even call it a home. There's a thousand rooms in this house, the plaza. So Archibald is adopted. Mary is adopted. And, And can we even begin to wrap our brains, much less our hearts, around how radically all of life the course of their life, the destiny of their life, the experiences of their life, the love, the care, the education, the privilege, the opportunity. We could go on and on and on. How can we even begin to calculate or fathom the difference that that has made in their lives? Their mother, Oneta, and their father, Roger, both passed. And they're now in the process of dividing the inheritance of over $1.7 billion. Wow, what a story. We'll come back and we'll, we'll tie that in to the, the series and the theme, and particularly the topic of today as we continue in this LifeLock series Identity theft protection from the book of Romans. And and by way of quick review, we've, we've talked about for weeks now since the first Sunday in June about how our identity was hijacked in the Garden of Eden. Things went terribly wrong in the Garden. And it was there that Adam and Eve sinned, and it was there at the moment of their sin that they were redefined as to who they were. And for the first time, they began to define themselves outside of God. Outside of God's purpose and outside of the identity that they had in Him. And ever since that time, Christ has been at work to bring restoration and redemption and to restore that identity. And that's what we're learning, that's what we're discovering, and that's what we're receiving through this series, is allowing God to stamp His identity upon our lives as genuine Christ followers. And we've been on an amazing journey where we find ourselves in Romans chapter eight, but we have walked through some really, really good stuff. We've learned about being saints. We, the Bible says we've been justified in Romans chapter two and chapter three. Rick did such a great job, uh, delivering and talking about uh, chapter four, learning that we've been credited a righteousness from God. The very righteousness of Jesus Christ has been credited to our account. And we talked about the proofs of our identity that Paul gives us in Romans chapter 5 and Romans chapter 6. And that reigning in peace and in grace and in new life. These are evidences of this new life and this new identity that we have in Jesus Christ. Chris Carter shared about our identity of of being free in God and free in Christ. And last week we talked about three laws of up. And really, if I could if I could summarize last week, and I want to I want to spend just a just a minute or two there, and then we'll transition really into the focus of what we want to deal with today. But but by way of review last week, the three laws of up really is summarized in the fact that we have been lifted in Jesus Christ. Now, what I'd like to do is I'd like to go and read Romans chapter eight. I'm gonna read this week. Last week we read out on the NIV. This week I want to read out of the New Living Translation and uh I also was reading in the message and if you really really want to read some amazing uh scripture paraphrase wow is the, is the message really good but let's read I want to read verses one through seventeen and let's just pray before we before we read this because i i have i feel so I, I know what Paul meant when he said, "Who is adequate for these things? I feel so Completely incapable of communicating the truth of what we're going to read in these 17 verses so that it becomes real to you, so that it becomes life to you, so that it becomes not just information and not just inspiration, but literally revelation that brings transformation. I can't do that. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. So can we just pause for a moment? And ask God to do something, but ask God to be God in our midst. Could we, could we just pause and ask Him to do that? Because I don't know about you, but I really need His help. And if truth be known, you really need His help. So let, let's just bow our heads just for a moment. Father, we just pause and we acknowledge our utter incapacity to see, to hear, to perceive, to understand. Lord, without You, we are blind to spiritual things. Without You, we are deaf. Without you, we are dumb. I know how to make noise. You know how to make sense. Holy Spirit, we gather this morning completely dependent on you. And we ask you to breathe upon us today. We ask you to speak to us. We ask you to quicken us and illuminate us to truth that will literally transform our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name if you agree. Say amen. Amen. Okay, thank you. Let's read. Paul Romans chapter 8, verse 1, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. I like that word, belong, don't you? And because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature, so God did what the law could not do. He sent His own Son in a body like the bodies we sinners have, And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Verse 5, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But, aren't you glad for the buts in the Bible? But... We call this the right side of the butt. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. That really is the difference maker, isn't it? God Himself takes up residence in the human heart. What a miracle of grace. Wow. Verse 10, "...and Christ lives within you." So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead... He will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God Our God, our children, our, our, excuse me, those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Verse 15. So you have not received the Spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. Now we call Him Abba Father. For His Spirit joins with our Spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are His children, We are His heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share His glory, we must also share His suffering. What amazing words of Scripture. And I just wish that we had two or three hours, uh, much less two or three days, to really walk through this, uh, each word and each phrase and each sentence. I want to encourage you to continue to go back to God's Word and read. But I want to pull several principles out this morning and focus on them. Number one, you have been quickened by Him. That's what Paul's telling us in Romans chapter 8. That you as a Christ follower, you as a believer, you as one in whom God has come to dwell. How does that happen? By perfect church attendance? Perfect Sunday school attendance? Because you have a perfect usher record and you've been serving in the church for 42 years and you're finally awarded? No, it doesn't happen that way. Paul's been breaking it down for us through the book of Romans. It comes one way. It comes by faith in Jesus Christ. It comes to us as a gift. Oh, I like that word, don't you? I'm so glad the Bible uses that word gift. Wow. We have been quickened by Him. We talked last week about the three laws of up or the laws of lift. And, and we drew this analogy. Paul says this in verse 1 of Romans 8. There's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. Because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. He said last week, the law of lift and the law of thrust supersede the law of gravity. That's an analogy, that's a picture of what Paul is trying to communicate. The law of sin and death is like gravity. It always pulls us back to earth. It always pulls us to our center, which is our fallen Adamic nature. There's spiritual gravity that's always going to pull us in that direction. But Paul says in Christ we've been set free from that. Does that mean God has eliminated gravity? No, the law of sin and death is still operational in the earth. Ever since Adam sinned, all of life, all of the planet has been perverted and twisted and distorted by this cancerous reality of sin. But there's coming a day when that curse is going to be lifted. When that that curse is going to be reversed and and all things are going to be restored. And we long for that day. Paul talks about that in, in the following verses that we didn't read. But there's this law of lift and this law of thrust. Paul calls it the life, the law of the Spirit. Or the law of life. It creates lift that supersedes this law of sin and death, this law of gravity, so that we can actually fly. We can actually rise above who we were before Christ came to live on the inside. And, and something new, and something different, and a game changing dynamic has happened in the heart and life of the believer. The Holy Spirit has come to reside within. And Paul says it's the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 11 is amazing. I, I don't read King James very often. I know some people are deeply devoted to the King James Version. I'm very grateful for it, but I I, frankly, I personally struggle to understand a lot of it. But I love the language of the King James Version in Romans chapter 8, verse 11. Because Paul uses the word quicken. He says, if the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you, then He will quicken your mortal body. Do you know that's the same word in the Greek that Paul uses elsewhere to describe Jesus Christ in His resurrection from the dead? Picture Christ in the darkened tomb. Lifeless His body lay. Dead. Motionless. Completely void of all life. And then something happened. The Holy Spirit came to that lifeless body the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, began to quicken the lifeless body of Jesus Christ. And, and it, was the, it was the person and power of the Holy Spirit that came into that lifeless body that resurrected Christ bodily from the dead. What is Paul telling us? It's mind-blowing. He says the same Spirit that raised Christ, that quickened His mortal body, will quicken you will lift you, will raise you. That's a game changer. That's why Christianity, I said it before, I'll say it again, that's why it's different from every other religious practice in the world, and I hesitate, in fact, I hate to call it a religious practice, because it's not. It's an experiential relationship where God invades my life, transforms my heart, and begins to transform me into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. That's, what, that's real Christianity. And anything short of that is dead religion that's void of power. That's what Paul's writing about in Romans chapter 8. And as if it wasn't good enough, it gets better. He goes on. Not only has he quickened you. This is, this, this is really mind blowing. He not only quickened us. Paul uses this language beginning in verse 15 that, that is just extraordinary. He says, you've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you've received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. The book of Romans is deeply theological. Paul's thrown around words that are so rich with theological meaning, to be honest with you. I'm not sure I understand them. I've studied him most of my life. I'm, I, frankly, I'm not really sure I fully understand him. He's thrown around righteousness and justification and sanctification and all kinds of crazy theological terms. So he's been deeply theological and deeply meaningful, but all of a sudden, wow, he's getting intensely personal and very practical and deeply relational. He starts talking in language about a father, and adoption, and family, and heirs, and belonging. Wow, I like that language, don't you? He's trying to get something across to us. This isn't supposed to just be theological. It's supposed to be experiential. It's supposed to be life Transforming. It's supposed to be, he uses this language a little bit later in Romans chapter 12. It's supposed to be mind changing and renewing. And he starts to use this language about adoption. And I share the story about Archibald and about Mary, as extraordinary as they are, as unusual as that is, two orphaned children that were homeless, hopeless, and penniless, are adopted into a royal family. They become heir and heiress of an estate worth in excess of 1700000000 billion. They're raised in a home with a thousand rooms. That's crazy! That's amazing! That's mind-blowing. And yet it's pathetic compared to the reality of what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. He's wanting to indelibly stamp this identity on your soul, on your mind, on your heart, and on your life. This is who you are. He calls you a son. He calls you a daughter. I love what Heidi Baker says in her book. And I, I shared an excerpt a couple weeks ago. They, they have rescued and, and adopted hundreds, in fact, thousands of children in Mozambique and, and other regions of Africa. And an extraordinary woman, an extraordinary ministry. And, and a couple of weeks ago, I told you about Ramadan, who was a young man that they adopted and they brought into their home. And, and it took him months If you remember the story, he was part of the family and they said, everything in the house is yours. Everything in the fridge is yours. There's Coca-Cola in the refrigerator. Go get one anytime you want. But he couldn't bring himself to do it until one day he went to the fridge. He realized he was part of the family. He realized he had refrigerator rights. He went unprompted, undirected. He went to the fridge, opened it, pulled out a Coke, popped it open and began to drink. And the reality that it was his and that he belonged and that and that he was part of the family. Joy shot across his face. And Heidi writes this in her book. She, she talks about the spirit of adoption and how different it is from having biological children. She has two children, two daughters of her own. And listen, she writes this. She says, It's a delight to see when people really have a true experience and revelation of adoption. They do change and find joy. She says, the spirit of adoption means we were hand-chosen by our Heavenly Father. With that choosing comes rights and privileges as sons and daughters. Let me offer you an illustration. She says, I have two children, Alicia and Crystalline. I didn't get to pick them. I gave birth to them, but I think they're absolutely awesome. I never say, hey, I wish you were more like this. Or more like that. No, they are flesh of my flesh and truly amazing people. And then she writes this, they make my heart sing. But when we adopt children, we actually go out and look for them. We choose them. What a simple and yet astounding reality. God went looking for you. God found you. God picked you. Because He wanted you. See, that's different than biological birth. And that's why Paul uses the word adoption. And that's why he says, he actually says it's the spirit of adoption. The Holy Spirit, one of His descriptors is He's the spirit of adoption. And when He comes into our heart, He bears witness with our spirit that we are actually a son, a daughter of God that we belong. And I love the way Heidi puts it. She said, if God has a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. Isn't that beautiful? That's true. It's true. Let it sink in. Let the Holy Spirit stamp that on your heart and on your mind. That you're His. You belong. You're part of the family. Wow. 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 That, that is amazing. That is awesome. We've been quickened by Him and we've been adopted. By him and we identify with him. Paul says his spirit, his spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And, and he says that we're going to share in his glory. Verse 17. But he says, if we share in his suffering. And, you know, that's interesting that Paul interjects that and he begins to expand on that as he continues to write in Romans chapter eight. We don't have time to deal with it now, but let me just say this. See, it's one thing for Christ to identify with us, and He has. He became like you. He became one with you. And He became, He became one of us. He fully and completely has identified Himself with us. But there, for for this relationship to be complete, we have to identify with Him. We have to accept that our name has changed. That our family changes. That we belong to Him and begin to identify with Him. And listen, if it has come, it's going to come. As a Christ follower, Paul said, all who live godly in Christ will be persecuted. Now that's not a refrigerator verse that most people like to memorize. But the reality is this, when you begin to be persecuted because you're a Christ follower, that's when you begin to enter in to identifying with Him. Because sometimes we recoil from that. We don't want to be rejected. We don't want to be made fun of. We don't want to be belittled. If we speak up, if we take a stand, if we're salt and light, sometimes it comes with a price. And so it's interesting that Paul says he sent this spirit of adoption into our hearts, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And that, that we, Paul uses Mind-blowing language. He talks about being an heir. If if we're sons and daughters, then we're heirs of God. We're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Do you know the Bible actually says He's our elder brother? Wow. If we identify fully with Him. See, that's the secret to success in the Christian life. Is not just God identifying with me, but me fully identifying with Him. And together... Amazing things happen as I yield to Him and His work and His grace and His Spirit in my life. He quickens me, He lifts me, He adopts me. And if we had time, the rest of Romans chapter 8, He helps me. Oh, does He help me? What a what a what a, a, a poor word choice. What a weak description of what God does for us. But here's what we're gonna do: we're gonna transition. At the close of this service, in just a few minutes, the ushers are going to serve us communion. And we're going to share in communion together. How how beautiful and how appropriate this morning. As as we talk about this identity that God is stamping on us. That we are His. That we belong to Him. That He fully identifies with us and wants us to fully identify with Him. that, That He's adopted us. That this spirit of adoption, He's placed in our hearts, whereby we cry, Abba Father, that's a, that's a term of deep intimacy. I want to show you a video clip as the ushers come and serve communion. They'll begin serving as the video clip begins to play. And I, we have open communion here at North Point. If, if you're a Christ follower, if you, if you've trusted Christ for salvation, you're, you're welcome, you're invited to participate in communion with us. If you don't feel comfortable, that's fine. But we'll distribute the elements. I want you to hold the elements. We'll watch this video. And I want to show you this video clip for one reason and one reason only. I want you to have, you know the old saying, a picture is worth a thousand words. I want you to have a picture of what Paul is describing as this Abba Father cry that comes from our hearts. When the Holy Spirit indwells the believer, our hearts begin to cry, Abba, Father. That's a term of endearment. That's Daddy God. I want you to to visually see what Paul is desperately trying to communicate to you and to me about this love relationship, this adoption, this family relationship that we enter into through Jesus Christ. So as the communion elements are distributed, Please direct your attention to the big screen and then I'll be back to share a couple of closing thoughts. And if the worship team could come, we're going to respond in a time of worship as well. So direct your attention now to the big screen, please. For the past six months, Lieutenant Paul Carroll has been overseas, but he is home now. And we were there when his son got the big surprise. Yeah, we ran the story initially on Friday, but on Veterans Day, we wanted to run it again, partly because it is so special and partly because, well, we could just run one of these every day and, yeah, we and sure watch could. it over and over again. Here's News Force Nigel Robertson with the surprise. Just look at him. Josh Carroll, an 8th grader at LEED Academy in Greenville, has no idea what is about to happen. His mother, however, does. Damon Williams. You see, Josh thinks he is just at another end of the nine weeks awards program. But what he doesn't know is just outside the cafeteria. Yeah, we're going to try to pull it off. He thinks I'm coming home in about three weeks. Yep, his dad, Lieutenant Paul Carroll, is home from Afghanistan. Mom and the school staff planned the whole surprise. Today we also want to pay honor and tribute to another type of service. Now the moment is just seconds away. The final award is for service to your country. Josh and his mom are called up in front of the whole school. Now, just watch and listen to what happens next. Please make welcome back home, First Lieutenant. That's what Paul was writing about when he said the spirit of adoption in our hearts cries, Abba, Father. That's the love between a father and a son. The son running and embracing the father. The father embracing the son. And I don't know if you could hear them exchange, but the boy said, I love you, Dad. and The dad said, I love you, son. And the son said to the dad, I'm glad we're soldiers. That's what Paul was writing about. And how appropriate that we would hold elements today that signify this reality. That we enter into this kind of relationship, we enter into this kind of identity as a gift. Not by anything that I've done, but I celebrate and I commemorate the door of my adoption. It's Jesus Christ. It's His broken body. It's God becoming man, living a sinless life, Dying a substitutionary death, not for his sins, but for mine and for yours. Placing simple, childlike heart faith in what Jesus Christ has done for me that I couldn't do for myself. This is the door. Jesus said it. He said, I'm the way. I'm the door. Nobody gets to the Father unless they come through me. That's what we're celebrating this morning. So as the team leads us in a time of response and in a time of worship, We're sharing communion corporately, but I just want to invite you to, you go ahead and partake individually when you're ready. And as you partake, ask the Holy Spirit to more deeply reveal and indelibly stamp your life with a sense of of ownership, of sonship, of daughterhood. As children of God, let's worship and celebrate together this morning.